Thanks for downloading Making Waves from the University of Portsmouth. I'm Trudy Monk, and in my day job, I champion and support the incredible alumni of our university. We're really proud of our graduate community and how they're making their mark and finding solutions to global challenges. These interviews showcase how our alumni are making positive changes in their businesses, communities and careers. In this first series, we're focusing on the environment. What our alumni are doing in this space goes hand in hand with what the university is doing to ensure an environmentally sustainable future, including making the bold commitment to being climate positive by 2030. By empowering our community and coming together, we know we can make a huge difference. In this episode, my colleague John Worsey speaks to Max Holloway about the part marine science has to play in cleaning up our oceans. It's one thing to gather evidence that oceans are suffering the effects of climate change, but a much bigger challenge lies in translating the scientific findings into policy. It's actually a big interdisciplinary effort. It's something I've learned. It's one thing having you know, the good science and that's accurate and robust and tested but then it's also being able to communicate it and, and sort of feed that into the, the roots that will end up in policy. From Olympic sailing to open water swimming in the Antarctic, Max shares the many ways that climate science can reach the masses. This is Making Waves. Max Holloway, thank you very much for joining us. Max, you're a University of Portsmouth graduate. You graduated from your undergrad degree back in 2011. We'll look at what your journey's been like since then um, a little bit later on, but I just want to start by asking right up to date, what are you doing with your life today, Max? Um, so, hi, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm now a, a marine scientist or marine physicist uh, based at the Scottish Association for Marine Sciences which is based up in Oban on the west coast of Scotland. Um, and I'm, I'm working here as um, a combination of sort of building physical models for the ocean um, and also collecting um, observational data from the ocean as well to, to, to use to, to validate the models. What kind of things are you uh, looking into through those models? What sort of data is it that you're assessing? So... Uh, a lot of the data we collect is um, we go out and we deploy moorings, um, which are essentially just a string of instruments that measure um, properties in, in, in the water column. So um, temperature, salinity um, can give you information about uh, the, the ocean's uh, density structure. And then we also um, put instruments on the seafloor, which measure the velocity um, through the water column. So it gives you uh, what all the, the ocean currents are doing over that point. Um, so then we use that data to feed into the models that we build. So we build models around um, certain areas of, um, usually in sort of the coastline. So um, up here in Scotland, we've got a really complex coastline with fjords and, and islands and things. So it's, there's lots of interesting things going on with the, with the currents. And you know, some areas are potential for... Uh, renewable energy through through tidal tidal energy, um, and there's other industries up here like aquaculture, which are looking to 
um, use the models to see how dispersive their environments are and, and make sure that some of the growth of, of these um, marine industries are using the ocean to to their to the most sustainable um, effect. Right. So, so the the potential impact then is um, is really broad by the sound of things. Anything from enabling a company to take a decision about uh, renewable energy and uh, whereabouts to to site itself, uh, right through to looking at the environmental impact of currently operational businesses, looking at uh, the quality of the environment, looking at habitats, uh, and and that presumably then feeds into at some level policy making. Does it by the Scottish government around? The marine environment. Yes, definitely. So, um, I guess my you know, my motivation is is trying to um, ensure the most sustainable use of, of the ocean. I mean, here in Scotland, it's, it's a huge resource, as, as I said, both for energy and um, things like the aquaculture industry, um, and you know, it's a, it's a huge marine industry and tourist industry here. Um, so the you know, ensuring that you've got a good model that that works and is realistic, as you say, can then feed back into policy to to help um, industries. You know whether they they want to expand into um, you know, further offshore into more dispersive or more open environments, making sure that's being done in a a sustainable manner, which which um, which you know um, which government so seabird um, and some of these sort of government um, agencies. Um, set out they have their regulations which which can't be exceeded so a lot of the modeling feeds into informing these 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 limits um that industries have to abide by yes yeah i don't know if you're familiar because at the time that we're having this conversation it's it's a relatively new development still but um back here at the university of portsmouth uh we recently launched what's called the center for blue governance um which is a, a, a globally focused um, research group. It's it's drawing together people from across the university. We 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 obviously being a a coastal university ourselves have a, an awful lot of uh, marine science expertise, and um, a big part of what they do, for example, is that piece around working with governments around the world, particularly in developing nations, um, to sort of help to untangle. Uh, and to evidence some of those complex trade-offs that you've alluded to there around um, making sure, for example, that you balance uh, sustainable income from tourism with sustainable use of the land in industry, whether it be fishing or whether it be uh, what's being done to uh, to, to crops and to uh, flora and fauna around uh, kind of the, the, the coastline, if you like, and around... Uh, the uh the near seabed um it's it's really it's really interesting and complex work and and getting those kind of decisions right it really relies on good quality science doesn't it because it is literally kind of it's the sort of work that does hold uh the future well-being of our world kind of in the balance Um, yes, definitely. I think um, I, I, I didn't know about this new new d- department at, at, at Portsmouth, but that sounds it sounds a, a brilliant idea. And um, and as you say, I think a lot of these things are, especially about getting things into policy and in, into action. It's it's actually a, a big interdisciplinary effort. It's something I've learned. So it's not just you know physicists and and you know geographers and, and people from 
certain specific backgrounds, but it's sort of bringing people in across university departments um, to, to, you know, inform um, these decisions on a real kind of solid science basis. Um, Because one thing having, you know, the good science that's accurate and robust and tested, but then it's also being able to communicate it and and sort of feed that into the the roots that will end up in policy. So, yeah, it sounds a good initiative. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, it's very much a collaborative piece. You know, there are, like yours, so many organisations around the world involved in this. I think, you know, uh, it's very much about working in connection, working in collaboration and partnership. Um, just coming back to yourself, Max, but sort of putting the, the spotlight back on you then as an individual and the things that you do. Um, I'm curious to know, you've alluded a bit to your uh, your personal motivation. I'm wondering what you feel are, are maybe some of the most important things about your work in terms of its potential outcome on the world. You know, what sort of things maybe do you want people to do differently as a result of of the work that you're able to do or how would you like your work to have a a positive impact um so that's yeah i guess that's the the big picture question which Mm -hmm. is um you know has in a way it's changed through my um you know, through through my education, through my postdoctoral work, um, I've gone from sort of being very, very big picture to the the stuff I'm doing now is far more applied. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm someone who obviously, you know, I really enjoyed the outdoors and and and, and I realised, you know, what what a, a incredible resource we we have out there, not just for kind of making the most of in terms of energy and profiting from, but just you know having that space there um and sort of using it in a sustainable way so it's there for future generations yes um i think a lot of work i've done in the past has been around the sort of climate climate change work and i mean that you know that is the big if you like the big um big picture problem of our kind of generation Mm. and it's it's trying to you know feed feed information in you know eventually to policy um but to kind of st- you know see this as a as as a bit a grander challenge as, as it should be kind of seen so yes. so um, you know the future direction of, of where we're going is, is done in a sustainable and, and greener way. Do you feel that um, based on your experience up there in Scotland, do you do you feel that um, there really is an acknowledgement now across the board that? as you say, climate change is the big crisis that isn't going away, that needs to be tackled and the, the, the calls for change. Is your experience that that really, I'm sure you're working alongside a lot of people who feel exactly that, but, but that actually more broadly the work that you're all doing is kind of getting the attention and the value that it deserves? Um, I, I think there's been... A, a big shift in in the last sort of few years. I'd hate to say how many years, um, but it does feel like there is now got a lot more momentum behind it with a lot of these kind of more um, these these bodies, organisations that that are kind of um, you know galvanise the public in, into action. I, I, you know, you think of um, Extinction Rebellion and and some of these kind of green activists, if you like, um, and. The, it's a different way of going about it. I know, as as a scientist, I've, I've, 
you know, you, you feel, I remember working for years and each year you're just kind of publishing the same results basically. And they were just, if anything, getting more and more dire mm. in terms of predictions of, of what the future climate was doing. Um, but it was, it was a very frustrating place to work in because it didn't really feel like it was making any difference. It just felt like you, you, you know, you'd publish the same, you know, the same story essentially. Yes. Um, but actually getting it into the domain where it was going to make a difference. Um, I mean, this is sort of five plus years ago, I guess now. Um, it does feel like in the last few years that there, there's a lot more momentum behind it. And it's nice to see, you know, that, that there are these these big, um, I guess since, you know, the COP uh, Paris 2015 sort of thing. And, yeah. You know, with these kind of global... Um, targets to keep global temperature within within a certain um, within a certain limit. It's, it, it does feel like there's a lot more um, yeah m- momentum behind making these um, positive changes. I think uh, I was just going to say as well. Uh, since moving, because I've worked in obviously Portsmouth, um, I did a lot of my work in Cambridge and London, and, and now moving to Scotland, it is is a bit of a shift because um, obviously compared to the, the cities down south Scotland is very um, a lot more spread out a lot less people living here and you do and the, the environment is is on your doorstep you know mm. it's, and it does feel like people here kind of take a bit more um, pride in 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 that that environmental kind of you know that resources that's there it does feel like there's there's quite a good um, ethos here Um I mean, it works both ways because everyone's so spread out. I still find in Scotland a lot of people drive from A to B rather than, you know, even journey. It's almost a habit that everyone seems to drive places. That's yeah. obviously a downside. But um, in general, I think people really do appreciate that, that, you know, what the environment, you know, what they've got on their doorstep, which is which is nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that's that's true here as well. We certainly see it. So an, another um, initiative here at Portsmouth, which again is is pretty new at the time of this conversation, is called uh, Revolution Plastics. And it's it's, it's, a, it's a very wide ranging initiative. Um, it's, it's kind of in a nutshell, it's about changing the world's relationship to plastics and about um, creating more, a more sustainable, a circular economy for plastics. So much, much better recycling. There's lots of facets to it. Um, but, uh, you know, part, part of that, um, at the very kind of frontline community level is, is collaborative beach cleans. Um, and we see the response from the community coming out, uh, to take pride in and look after, uh, their seafront resources. Just, it's really heartening actually. I think you're, you're absolutely right that sometimes it's easier to be aware of the problem when you, when it's on your doorstep, when you can see the effects of it and also you can you can more tangibly appreciate i guess what it is that you stand to lose um and maybe that explains uh the point that you've made about scientists have been putting out these reports for years and years and years and i mean it's it's kind of remarkable you look back to some of the early um climate science back in the 70s and the predictions uh, for what was going to unfold were, were, you know, have been proved remarkably accurate but it's as if uh, this sort of sea change in, in perception in, in governments and in the general population has really accelerated probably because now it's becoming unavoidable to see around us whether it's on the news or on our front door just too many things that can't be explained 
by anything other than climate change. I'm curious to yeah, know. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. You know, so I, I guess it was all. Yeah, you know, as you say, the IPCC have been publishing the same message since you know since the IPCC started, sort of thing. But I think it was, in a sense, it was always a matter of time for for these trends to you know, come out of the noise, if you like. Yeah. The kind of the general internal variability between years to years. So I think I think it has. It's been something that has needed a, a length of time to kind of build, but it's nice to see that because, as you say, it's kind of it is the, at the point now we kind of have to act on it. Otherwise, it, you know, it's it, you, no one can really be sure how, how long we've got left before um, yeah. before these changes will really be kind of set set in a, a, a you know a long term um, set in cement, if you like, for yeah. for, for for generations to come. I'm curious to ask, and this might this might not be a fair question, but because um, it's quite a biggie. But um, I, I know you're sort of three or four years on from um, completing your PhD, so obviously it's comparatively early days in your career. But have you got a um, a sort of sense of a, a personal mission? How you how you'd hope to be able to use your your knowledge and your skills and your expertise um, in in the the decades ahead to help? Um. Yeah, that is a big question. I think uh, I, w- I was clearer on this, uh, maybe, well, maybe a bit clearer on this before. So I used to work sort of during my PhD and immediately sort of the two years after my PhD, I was working on um, sort of mo- modelling ice sheet stability, um, yeah. s- specifically in, in Antarctica and and sort of the, the contributions, sort of more looking at the contributions of the Antarctic ice sheet to sea level in, uh, during past warm periods. And the idea is was then to be able to constrain how much the Antarctic ice sheet has contributed to past sea level, and then use that to help predict how the the ice sheet might respond to to you know the future warming that yes. the climate models are predicting. So I think that was that was quite a clear, a very big picture goal. Was you know my goal was um, I was specifically interested in um, most of my research was over one key time period, which was the last time global temperatures were kind of similar um, and sustained at a similar level to what we're looking at at the end of the century and trying to sort of pin down that number, um, you know, with some uncertainties about how, you know, how much certain, how much the Antarctic ice sheet may have changed during, during that, that period of time. So I think, you know, that, that, that was quite a key um, research goal that I was working towards yeah. um, and sort of, publishing papers sort of chipping away at that kind of that goal um i think now i've kind of moved um the stuff i'm doing now is far more applied um and you know far more immediate in terms of um the research outcomes can can feed into policy on a far quicker uh time scale um i don't know don't think i've come to the kind of the big overall um, or a new big overall um, goal, if you like, that I'm working towards. Um, it, it's more sort of lots of smaller projects that are kind of um, overlap and they're interrelated, but it's not so much of a big um, one sort of big driving goal at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I think for, for that, you know, a lot of scientists end up sort of going into more into policy more directly. I think when you know, to to make a really direct change. Mm. 
so that's one that's one possible avenue but i think um i think it's quite a, a common journey for scientists to uh just follow the threads as it were almost and and as you say end up doing that very applied piece and actually there's there's so much value to society in somebody becoming more and more and more expert in one particular facet of a much broader field um and it it's you know climate change is a big enough topic that we need hundreds and thousands of uh, of scientists all with their own expertise anyway working in, in in different ways of it chipping away to to try and uh, stop that sort of the giant iceberg of climate change melting and uh, flooding all of us. Oh, what a horrible metaphor. Sorry about that. <laughs> right, let's change tack, uh, Max. Should we um, let's let's go sort of back in time. Um, so you did your undergraduate degree at Portsmouth. What was your undergraduate degree in? Um, I did geography. Okay, and why did you choose uh, Portsmouth? for your geography degree? Um, so there's it, a bit of a backstory to it. So I was, um, so when I was younger, I was um, sailing competitively. Um, and I was, uh, at, at this point, I, I, I just spent, after my A-levels, I spent two years as sort of full-time lottery-funded athlete ah, um, and on, on sort of the elite, Olympic development squad and I was kind of pushing towards the, at this point it was the Beijing Olympics and uh-huh. you campaigning and sort of training um with, with you know some of the top guys who were going going to going to the Olympics and and it got to a point where um I was always through I think it was sailing that kind of got me onto the, the the geography route if you like I was always interested in you know, obviously sports science and the sport I was doing, but sailing is, you know, it's a sport where you're, you're out in the water um, a lot of your time, you know, though there is a, a physical component, there's a lot of kind of tactical mm. and um, being able to read the conditions essentially. So um, obviously what the waves are doing, what the wind's doing. And I ended up spending a lot of time researching sort of meteorology and, and learning about that sort of stuff, so I was I was interested um, in yeah in both sort of sports science and the, the and geography, and it got to the point I think uh, around Beijing that I realised you know you look to the numbers of people, and I think at this point I was kind of third or fourth ranked in the UK, and I sort of just started getting maybe some top thirty at World Cup events kind of thing, but there was still I mean sailing in in the UK obviously we're, we're incredibly strong at sailing so yeah. there was still a number of guys ahead of me who and including the guy who went on to win the gold gold medal in Beijing so you kind of you realised that then it was kind of four years committed to um, London and then maybe four years to Rio and you're kind of looking at you know a, a, probably a decade of, yeah. of work before realistically I might be in with a shot of going to Olympics so I was kind of like okay I, I need to do you know, I kind of need to think that that I, I need to have a career, you know, outside of this as well, and and something to, you know, something. And, and to be completely honest, as well, um, sailing as a sport was something that was, you know, growing up as an amateur thing was good fun. I used to spend all my time on the water, but but as soon as it became a job, yeah. it took a lot of the the fun out of it. Yes. So I was, kind of, I was looking for. Um, a different, a different, you know, a different direction, I guess. And um, 
at the time it was quite funny but our sports uh, psychologist on the in the sailing team was also um, I think he was a professor at, at Portsmouth uh-huh. so he sort of suggested well and, and we were doing a, a lot of our training was done in the Solent at the time as well so spending a lot of time in, in that sort of in, you know, in that area yes uh, in sort of Gosport um, or Stokes Bay just over the water and and he sort of said about coming around, so I was looking around, and I, th- I think he had an idea maybe I'd come and do sports science. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up, um, I, you know, I loved it. Portsmouth seemed brilliant, so I applied um, very last minute uh-huh. um, to to go to to start that autumn, um, and I, I enrolled on, on geography. Um, and yeah, I remember turning up. Um, I had a, had a race, um, and I was doing. Uh, a big kind of a big race in Weymouth, um, a week week event, and then there was the weekend um, was like the last weekend when everyone was trying to get their houses and people to live with in Portsmouth. Yeah, I remember doing the final race in Weymouth and then um, finishing top ten in the Shrigatra and just getting straight into the car and driving to Portsmouth to kind of <laughs> you know, try and socialise and, and uh, try and sell myself as a as a possible housemate for yeah. someone. It was incredibly hectic, but. Um, yeah. I was quite lucky with with a, a, a you know a friend of mine in particular who I was sailing with at the time who was also starting Portsmouth who kind of um, <laughs> managed to get me a foot in the door and, and some nice housemates to live with for, for the next three years. So it all turned out fine. Yeah. When you think back to your time at Portsmouth, then what do you what do you think of? Um, what do I think of I? I must admit, I absolutely, I, I, I loved, um, I, I loved it, but from many different sort of aspects. I, I mean, I thought uh, I, I was one of one of those people who, who loved turning up to lectures and just learning, you know, learning new things yes. every day and 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 that kind of thing. And I think also being in that environment was great. And um, then also with the so so with the the sport, I was um, a sports scholar when I started at Portsmouth. Uh-huh. Um, so I was also trying to keep up the training um, and obviously do my study. So it was quite a test of sort of time management to go from being a full time athlete and just doing that to suddenly having you know to, to balance that alongside a university degree. So, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I loved it. You know, I. I'd quite happily. It was it was nice to have a distraction to be able to go out there and do some training and then come back and head to the library or to lectures or whatever and have something you know quite different to sort of um, immerse yourself with. Yes. that was that was good. I know that you um, you went on from Portsmouth to do your your masters elsewhere and then on again to do your PhD. Um, I'm curious to know. Do you feel that um, obviously your your kind of focus, as you said, has shifted from the geography degree initially into um, much more niche in particular areas? Do, do you feel like your time at Portsmouth sowed the seeds in any ways uh, for the journey that you've been on? Has it has it helped you to get to where you are today? Um, yeah, definitely. So I I think the the geography degree. So I, I kind of took. The, the, the as you'd expect the kind of physical geography route and and that I think set me up with a really broad um, base you know really broad science basis in yeah. terms of uh, you know what I'd go on to do and I, I've always found since I've, I've had 
quite a, a broad um, knowledge, if you like, knowledge base. So I've been able to um, interact with people from lots of different specialists um, and being able to communicate. And I think the geography route is quite a nice, um, gives you a nice basis um, from from that point of view. I mean, I know a lot of other countries, when you go to university, your first year is, is you know, you, you do an array of subjects and, mm. you know, it's a while before you start to specialise. And I think doing a, a geography degree at, at, as an undergraduate was great because it was... Um, you know, it was quite broad. There was a lot of the kind of, um, it started my interest in sort of um, hydrodynamics and fluid dynamics with a lot of the, the river morphology um, work we were doing. Yeah. Um, a lot of the coastal geomorphology um, was, was, you know, was really interesting. And um, a, a lot of the stuff I was really interested in was the, the climate, um, a lot of the, the, the climate work. So the, there was sort of mountain climate, um uh, subjects that I was taking and a lot of that obviously fed into the meteorology that that was the interest that kind of got me into doing the degree in the first place yes. um and I finished doing uh sort of my final final dissertation was was using sort of weather stations which are set up and, and using them to 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 identify the the sea breeze um circulation around Weymouth and Portland which was where the Olympics were going to be held in 2012 so there's that nice overlap between ah, yeah. um you know the sailing in the sport and and then you know where my studies were leading um so yeah I think in terms of a basis in you know a broad basis in science and that sort of knowledge base I, I, I it was it was perfect it was really good Fantastic. have you um have you engaged at all with the University of Portsmouth since you graduated as you've been on your uh, your journey through uh, further study and into your career? Um, I haven't and I, looking back I, I probably should have but I don't um, it, it's probably it's been so busy I don't know where when there would have been an opportunity to do so I, I think <laughs> yeah. it's uh, yeah it's been so I almost uh, it, there was a bit of a fork in because I almost stayed on um after my undergraduate to do um, a PhD in Portsmouth yeah. um, I think I was offered to do a PhD straight after my undergraduate which was more in the kind of um coastal um, geomorphology sort of side and then looking at waves um and sort of you know wave, wave impact on, on coastal erosion so that was something I was seriously thinking about um so so yeah if that, it could have been I could have had a lot more uh, involvement in Portsmouth yes. if I'd taken taken that route. But you went a different way, as it was. But you, you said your sort of initial reaction to that question was uh, was oh, I probably should have. What 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 were you thinking there? Was that about sort of maybe mentoring students, or what, what kind of what kind of ways could could you conceivably imagine yourself uh, kind of re- renewing those ties in the future? Um, well, I think what what I've learned, I guess. Further along my, my my science journey, further along my yeah my science journey has been that how important building that you know the, those networks around you because no no one can be an expert in in all these all these fields so um you know a huge strength of it is is actually this kind of networking and and building that network of experts around you so then you know that can all feed in because yeah. these days when you're you know, the currency of a scientist is publishing these journal articles and you're very rarely a sole author of a, a, an article. It's a team effort where you're bringing in co-authors who do their little pieces. Um, and I think that's that's where the networking and having that, that, 
that network of experts around you really kind of leads to the the top quality papers yes. um, and you know getting the best out of yourself and, and your work that you publish so I think if I'd known that earlier then I probably would have made the more of the, you know this this huge you know, it's a huge beneficial network of experts that I'd, I'd built over three years working in, in Portsmouth so it it was yeah I think that's that's where it was just a bit of a shame was to I felt like I was so busy I was just always on to the next challenge if you like and the next thing that I didn't really um spend as much time as I should have kind of fostering what was what was already there well that is great food for thought that's a really good tip I think for uh, anyone who's hearing this that that uh, is, is maybe at that earlier stage uh, in their studies or in their career to just just remember as you say the importance of connections and of having a network and you you never know um just how uh, you could benefit from the people that you meet along the way speaking of people that you meet along the way um before i uh, let you go max i have to touch on um something really impressive that you did recently can i ask you how it was uh, you trained alongside Lewis Pugh, uh, who, for anyone who's not familiar, is uh, a UN patron of the oceans, really uh, very well-known, um, uses swimming to, to raise awareness for climate change. And you trained with him for a swim that he did in um, an East Antarctic superglacial lake. How did that come about? What was that like? <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was a really unique kind of experience, I guess. That's... Um, it was actually it was it was my wife who saw this advert come up in the, in the paper and it was quite um it was quite uh remin- the way he'd written this out this advert was very rem- reminiscent of sort of past polar explorers uh-huh, and yes. um you know the kind of you know young guns wanted to train there'd, there'd be no no tea breaks no hogmanay just you know sort of hard swimming in 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 cold water so yeah. So I, I don't know. Straight away, kind of, um, I think she she read it and just thought of me and, and knew I'd kind of jump at the chance. So um, so that was great. Um, but I'd also so through through my PhD and other work, I I went to Antarctica in twenty seventeen eighteen right um, to do field work down there, which to collect data, which sort of you know again fed into the models. So um, so I'd, I'd been there and, and I was working in climate science and, and obviously being a climate scientist I knew of Lewis and, and, and his work um, trying to raise awareness around um, you know, uh, protecting the oceans and this sort of climate crisis so so I um, so he advertises as a to, to, to basically is you know basically a job advert looking for someone to come yeah. and, and train alongside him for two weeks. Um, and it was going to be based up in the Isle of Lewis, uh, in the Outer Hebrides. Right. And the the thing thinking of this was, um, you know, the Outer Hebrides is 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 sur- you know surrounded by water. It's covered in water. There's there's locks. There's fjords. There's the sea. So it's a good place to train, and it's really cold, especially in December, January. Yes, so okay. it worked as. Um, a sort of a medium, a sort of a, a step towards the temperatures he'd be swimming in in Antarctica. Yeah. So it was a great location for that. Uh, so I, so I sent him off, um, you know, a, a CV if you like, just saying I'm a climate scientist. Um, I've you know, since my sailing background, I've moved into other sports. I've done a lot of um, sort of triathlon, a lot of open water swimming. Um, now being up here, I, I do a lot, lot of swimming. Um, you know, off off the coastline here, and a lot of sort of mountain running in the hills. So, yeah. 
so from that point of view, I was so I, you know, and I was, I was fairly, I was pretty, being pretty competitive. So I was, I was quite a good level, I think, for for him to trade against. So so he um, he gave me a call sort of that day and was sort of straight away, yes, you know, definitely we want you to come over. Um, so yeah, at the end of December, we, we after after Christmas, we headed out to the, to to Lewis and just had like um. It's basically a ten-day training camp of swimming and running twice a day, in in you know waters that were anywhere between sort of four and seven degrees. Wow. Um, so it was it was really really intense, but like it was that. it was a brilliant experience. And and you know the other thing is he was because of his work, he was just so keen to learn more about the science behind yeah, behind climate change and behind you know the. The, the ocean conservation side so you know we'd be be getting up at first light and <clears throat> doing our run and our swim in the morning and then we'd be back trying to warm up and just talking about you know the science for hours before kind of refueling and recovering to go and do it all again in the evening so it was a really kind of um it was a full-on experience but it was a really great experience and it's not one i'm gonna gonna forget in a while so yeah, it, so yeah, it was really great and, and that's the other Someone who's the other end of the spectrum, who's really kind of, you know, pushing change into policy. So you know, you have the scientists who are doing, doing their work to kind of give you the evidence base, and then he's the other end, which is the real, because he's a marine lawyer by background. So mm-hmm. he's kind of combining his skills as a marine lawyer, his ability to swim in, in really cold water, <laughs> and you know that kind of the um, R side of it to to really make these changes and, and put them into policy. So uh, and he's he's incredibly effective at, at doing that. Yeah, what a fantastic experience to have had. How exciting and uh, and still so early into your career. Well, who knows whether whether you'll have <laughs> other opportunities to uh, maybe next time you'll end up in the Antarctic with him. Who knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today, Max. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks, John. It's been great speaking to you. You too. That was marine physicist and Portsmouth alum Max Holloway on using marine science to inform policy and help protect our oceans. It's great to hear that people outside of the scientific community are starting to sit up and pay attention to the findings of people like Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Waves. You can find more inspiring interviews with University of Portsmouth alumni by subscribing to this series on your podcast app. And if you'd like to get involved and make some waves of your own, let us know by emailing alumni at port.ac.uk or click on alumni from the Portsmouth homepage.